Welcome to the Life Giver Marriage Podcast, a place for honest conversation and hope for your military or first responder marriage. This is your host, Corey Weathers, and I'm honored to share this journey with you. Close your eyes for a minute if you want to see the world. Welcome to another episode of the Life Giver Podcast. Today's show is made possible by Talkspace, an online therapy option that allows you to work with experienced, licensed therapists handpicked just for you for as little as $32 a week. On Talkspace, you can send texts, auto and video messages to your therapist online or through their app, all HIPAA approved. Talkspace has therapists that are trained to deal with military and first responder issues and is a great way to give you consistent help for less than your average copay. To sign up or learn more, go to Talkspace.com forward slash LMS. Talkspace is even giving listeners of LifeGiver $30 off your first month by using the code LMS. That's promo code LMS and Talkspace.com forward slash LMS. Welcome to another episode of the Life Giver Podcast. This is Corey, and I am starting a series that I have wanted to do for a really long time. I have been wanting to um, reach out to some of our senior spouses of all branches, really, and give them an opportunity to spread the wisdom that they have and really just kind of carry this theme of mentoring to all of our families. Um, There's so much wisdom that I think that they carry from their experience of so many years of being in the military and being married to a service member for as long as they have. So I am pleased to introduce to you today, Mrs. Susie Schwartz, and she is gonna share with her her wisdom. I'm gonna read her bio, because I mean, there's just so much that she's been doing. So I'm gonna read to you who Susie is, and then we're gonna get started today and talk about what her experience has been like in the military as a spouse and the wisdom about married marriage to a service member as well as some things that we need to know a little bit more about on how we can um, invest in our families more and believe me she does a lot of creative fun stuff and we're going to get into that as well so mrs susie schwartz after graduating from the university of arkansas susie began her professional career as a special education teacher This experience affirmed her belief in the critical importance of education. She is a passionate supporter of the Military Child Education Coalition, which focuses on the challenges which face highly mobile military school-aged children, which is awesome because we just finished a parenting series on that. Um, While at Scott Air Force Base in Illinois, she worked with the Fisher House Foundation to establish a comfort home for the Veterans Administration Hospital in St. Louis, and more recently was instrumental in the establishment of another Fisher House facility at Dover Air Force Base. These homes, both now in full operation, provide family members with a comfortable and supportive place to stay while supporting a hospitalized family member, or in the case of the at the home in Denver at Dover, the unanticipated loss of a loved one. Susie has served as an Air Force Aid Society board member and performed key roles on the Air Force Cherry Ball Committee. Susie also actively participated in the White House Joining Forces Initiative with a purpose to mobilize all sectors of American society to support the military community. Huge fan of Joining Forces Initiative. She continues to support Sesame Street Workshop for Military Families, Operation Homefront, the Armed Services YMCA, and the Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors. She is currently... She is a current member of the Fisher House Foundation National Board of Directors and serves on the Board of Advisors of the National Military Family Association. She is the proud spouse of the 19th Air Force Chief of Staff General, now retired Norty Schwartz, and she serves as the president for Military Spouse Programs for Victory Media, which is the publisher of Military Spouse Magazine. Welcome to Life Giver, Susie. 
wow, that sounds like a lot of you and you read it all like that. I know, it's a lot. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so excited to have you. You're a dear friend of mine and a huge friend to the entire military spouse community. And you have done so much and there's so many things in there that I'm just such a huge fan of. And um, why don't you start by sharing with us, how many years have you been a military spouse? Do you know? <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm coming up on 36 years. I married Nort when he was a captain, so I missed the very early years. I came in just a little bit later, and um, I thought I knew what it was going to be like but because uh, I was a brat, um, but very different being a spouse. And so how many years did you guys serve in the mil in active duty Air Force before he retired? He served, he served 39 years in active duty service, which is a lot. That is a lot. And you guys served under the, the Obama administration when he was the Air Force G Joint correct. Chief of Staff, correct? Yes. Okay. And so you have a huge passion for education, um, the Fisher House. Would you mind sharing a little bit with us on... Um, some of the things, some of your favorite things that you got to do over the course of your years as a military spouse, especially active duty. Sure. Um, we got to travel a lot, which was always great. But I always have to say the very best part of any travel was meeting with either young airmen or young spouses. Always the best. And you tried your best to get, you know, the straight, honest scoop about things. That didn't always happen, but... Um, you tried your best and that was always the best. And I tell people now that's the one thing of all the military things that you get to do that you will miss the most is being around young airmen. I mean, I got to go to the inauguration of President Obama, the first one, which was really phenomenal. It was so wonderful just because that's, the town was so happy. Um, I'm not saying a political statement at all. I'm just saying that Washington DC, the town was happy. There were no arrests. It was safe. It was just a wonderful experience. Well, that is such a unique experience, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you guys, because um, we have several other um, senior spouses that are going to be part of the series. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on, because you have such a unique perspective from really the top down, and I think there's so much wisdom there of being able to, so many of us just understand what's going on in our life, boots on the ground sometimes, right. and we're in the middle, the thick of it, right, of the middle of our career in the military, and it's, it's sometimes hard to see perspective perspective outside of what we're involved in. And so from your perspective at the top, um, what was that like for you to be a part of such historical events like that? Um, it was pretty amazing. You know, it's amazing. Um, you know, it's pretty interesting while you're in it. I mean, you know that. And um, but you, what you do is you bond with all of your other friends. So those experiences um, will last a lifetime. In fact, we've lived through two more inaugurations. And each one of those days, um, those of us that were the service chiefs at the time, we email each other all during the day and are so happy that we're not down there doing it again. Um, but it's really just a wonderful experience. And we laugh and, and joke and, and um, remind ourselves of the fun things that we you know, got to do that day. It's a day of hurry up and wait. Mm -hmm. um, but you know that it's, um, you know that it's a once in a lifetime experience to stand up there and, you know, watch the parades go by. For your spouses, they get to sit right down, um, you know, right behind the president. And um, also for them, it's a little bit of a visual. They also know that they are window dressing. Um, but it's okay. It's a, it's a beautiful experience. And so you're looking out and you're facing, you know, the same way that the president's looking out. 
So you get to see the crowds and um, and, and pinch yourself that you're there. That's what I was yeah. going to ask is there's, you've had a lot of pinch me kind of moments. And yeah. so is there any other moments during that time that really just stand out for you as amazing? I can't believe that I'm getting to be part of this moments. Um, well, sad moments at Dover. Those mm-hmm. are unbelievable. When you stand on the flight line at Dover, sometimes next to the sec def or next to the president, you know, uh, just to stand there and, and wait for that. It's, it's an unbelievable experience. Um, but so many other things. I mean, going to NASCAR races, you know, it's such mm-hmm. a, um, you get the first class treatment and they're so pro-military and you just, you know, again, you want to pinch yourself the things you get to do. I never got to ride in a car, but to sit up on pit row and put the headsets on and listen to what they're telling the driver. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are just wonderful, wonderful things. Um, and, you know, go, go get to see, you know, behind the scenes at baseball games, at football games, um, to be on the state on down on the field during, you know, air force and army games. That's pretty amazing. Uh, and you know it, you absolutely know it and you don't want to miss a thing. And then one of the other things I really loved was graduation ceremony. So, you know, every year you go to the air force Academy for us and, to watch the graduation, you know, to be part of the graduation ceremony. And it takes a long time, but you're sitting there looking at these wonderful young men and women and just amazed. And I lived long enough to remember when women got to go to the academy. So now to watch them as they graduate, truly just one of the many cadets. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. So how many years were you guys, was Nordy part of the Joint Chief of Staff total? It's a four-year commitment. It always is. So that's, so that's an intense time of four years. Can you share with everybody a little bit more about what that four years looks like for you guys? Sure. Um, nobody has any idea what those four years look like. So we came in at a crazy time. Um, the previous people had been fired. We came in with very little notice. Uh, we have a mission, and nobody realizes that either. You are given direct orders from the SECDEF of what he wants you to do. And um, so we had these like orders and one of them was to be seen. So um, the first year we were at everything. Um, so many, nobody, nobody realizes that probably, I would say for me, at least 60 to 75% of my day was filled with military related things. Whether it was planning, calendar, travel, getting ready for travel, getting ready for entertaining, all of it, it is filled with that you know, that part of your life. And you know, so you squeeze in desperately um, a little time to work in your yard. You squeeze in a little time. I squeeze in some time to exercise. Some people make that more of a priority. I wish I did, but I tried my very best. Uh, I continued to run because I wanted to run. It sounds so silly, but I wanted to run with my husband and I wanted to run on Fort Meyer. You know, you got to keep up with the soldiers. So in fact, we were laughing at something recently that when you're running and the soldiers go by, you suck it up and you run really proud and tall and you're not breathing hard. And as soon as the soldiers are gone, then you like, you know, you you lean over and pant and carry on. But you don't want them to see that you can't keep up with them. But it's a busy, busy time. So you can be traveling, getting ready for travel. You might come home and really that night you may entertain, which is why you have some help in the household but you are on the road or going. And people ask me, I'll never forget, the the Marine Corps spouse asked me, Susie, will you visit all of your bases this year? And I started laughing. I said, "Um, no, the Air Force has 74 CONUS bases. So there's, we didn't go to all of them in all four years, we didn't make it. We wanted to, but you can't do it. Because really, you, the fun stuff is going out to the bases the real job of a service chief is in town, 
fighting for your service. And I don't mean fighting in a bad way. Service chiefs get along. The myth that they don't get along is is silly. Um, but your job is to be in town and working the hill, you know, working DOD for your service. That's your job. So I was going to ask, because you and I have had some private conversations before where I got to ask you about what this lifestyle was like for you, especially during that four years. And you mentioned right. some of the traveling that you did. Did you try to travel a lot with your husband in order to... It, I did. I loved it, number one. But when you step off at a base or a country and you step off of a beautiful blue and white airplane that says United States of America on the side of it, it is... It's a visual, it is a feeling that you know it's a once again, it's a once in a lifetime thing. But you also have that obligation when you step off that plane. You are not there to shop or to play around or you are there to work. You are there to represent your service, your country. And I took that very, very seriously. So when I was in another country, I was hosted usually. Uh, by um, the people in that country, say you visited Turkey, you're hosted by the Turkish air chief. Now you want to go visit your service member, but you are also there to make get a relationship with that service. And you do what it is they want you to do. So some of that might include shopping because, I mean, I'll give you an example. In Turkey one night, I over dinner, I said, oh, I'm going to buy some rugs somewhere on this trip. Okay, unbeknownst to me, after dinner at 11 o'clock at night, an eight-car caravan pulls up to a shop that had been opened specifically for me. <laughs> okay. Because it was his friend, his brother, who knows, but he thinks he's doing you a favor. So now at, at 11 o'clock at night, 10 o'clock, you, I feel that obligation. Okay. Thank you. You did this for me. It's a big, it's an honor for him to have done this for you. And so you do feel some obligation at that moment to buy something. Now, I'm a shopper, don't get me wrong, but the pressure then is on. And so you need to buy a rug with 30 people staring at you, and you need to do it quickly, and you need to sort of not be worried about really what it costs. Just go ahead and do this, and then get it on the plane and figure out how to get it home. I, I can't even imagine because it takes me three months to pick out a rug. No, but you over time, then you kind of learn then to expect that. You learn a little bit what not to say so you don't get in that situation. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you forget. You just forget. As in, um, we're in Morocco, she took me into her kitchen and she said, do you like this china? I said, yes. Being nice. What was packed up and on the plane when I got on the plane to leave Morocco? Her china. That, that china. Wow. And I have to say to everybody listening, I have seen your china and dish collection. It is a passion of yours and it is unbelievably amazing. So we're going to get back. We're going to get to actually that later because I would love for you to take the opportunity to share a few of your entertaining tips because this is sure. such a passion for you and you do it in an amazing way. I've seen sure. you do it. It's incredible. Sure. So I'd love to ask you, um, that intense four years, I, I'm, of course, before that four years was intense in their own ways, but 
Um, during the intensity of the four years, the perspective that you must have had from um, everything that was happening on the Hill of trying to advocate for your branch, for the Air Force, and, and the needs of families for the Air Force, um, you have a perspective on some of the issues that were going on at the time within the branch and advocate, advocating for those families. What was that like for you to have that perspective from the top level down on the things that actually needed to be adjusted versus maybe some of what you were hearing from family members? Sure. First of all, before that assignment, so we spent seven years traveling the world. So we had three years as a joint commander at Transportation Command at Scott Air Force Base. So I had many times of going to Washington to what they call the Combatant Commanders Conference. And um, so I spent three years at Transcom and sort of out of the loop of the Air Force, but watching from the outside. So when we got this unbelievable opportunity, a very rare thing for a big airplane guy in the United States Air Force to be given the chance to be the chief, I hit the ground running. I knew what it was that I wanted. Um, in fact, the day of the change of command, we went back to the room and there were people there waiting to plan a conference. So literally I got off, get out, got out of the truck into the room and there were like five people. What do you want to do for this next conference coming up in a month or so? And I mean, I went down the line, bing, bing, bing. I knew exactly what it was that I wanted to do. And um, so I had had the advantage of being at a level to see. And I knew that while the other services had been using their money that they received for the wars, they had been building up their family programs. But for some reason, the airports had not. So the very first briefing I got was from our family programs directors, and I got everything, figured out what it was that we had not been doing. So I launched in immediately on our key spouse program, which is the same as the Navy Ombudsman program, or it's modeled after that, a little bit like your FRG you know, type thing or as an FRG leader. So I knew that I could push that program without waiting for any funding, because it was already existing, and it was a volunteer program, all I had to do is make it my number one platform. And you do have a voice and you can push things out. So I spent the first year, well, I spent all four years, but that first year it was all about the Key Spouse program, just getting the word out on family programs, finding out what it is, what they wanted. And I'll tell you, over time, nothing ever changes, okay? Spouse employment, education, healthcare. Those three things, they have not changed in the past 20 years. Those three things. They, they might go up and down on what's number one, two, or three, but they don't change over time. So I was able to do that, and uh, it was relatively easy. Um, I met with people, and I got the word out. And then we launched into school liaison because that, take, that took funding. Mm. So I had to wait a year. So I'll tell you what I honestly told my husband. I told him after a year. I said, okay, honey, now you've gone and worked on your side of the house. I've given you a year. You got your direction. I need you to turn to me. I need you to help me on what I, what I feel right now is important. And that's how we started. We got more school liaison officers and we got more EFMP, you know, awareness about EFMP and push about EFMP um, coordinators at the basis. Okay, that brings up a question that I have because a lot of our military family members are we're going through a shift, a generational shift, I think, right now in our community. And I'm seeing that a lot of family members are starting to feel disturbed or distressed at um, the possibility of budget cuts and programming going away. And, and a lot of this programming, as I talk with 
you and some of the other senior spouses were part of this generation that was wonderful in the way that you built a lot of this family program from the ground up before there was even money to sustain it. And so now we're going through this shift, and which I have so much respect for um, that generation just building so much out of nothing based off of what the right. needs were. And so now that we're in this new generational shift where some of that is either being threatened to be taken away or um, you have great perspective on that. What would you say to some of our family members that are taking a look at that now programming that you fought so hard for? I'm not saying that that in particular is going right. away at all, but I think some people feel like it's threatened a little bit. And so right. what would you say to encourage family members on that? Well, first of all, I think that one thing they don't know is how much their senior leaders think about them every single day. The idea that they do not care about Airman Basic down at you know San Antonio, Texas is just not true. Every single day. And honestly, if they could, they would probably give you the moon and more, but they cannot. But I just always feel like what they, one thing that they don't know is how much you care about them. When you go through the gate and you're, when you almost, they bring tears to your eyes and we look at each other and we say, oh my gosh, where do we get these young airmen and soldiers and sailors? Where do they come from? They just amaze us. So that's just number one, that they, they care about you very, very much. But budgets are limited and they don't, and do not think that the first thing that they look to is family programs. Absolutely not true. Absolutely not true. Because honestly, family programs are not the big part of the budget. You know, Honestly, salaries and medical care are the biggest part. So that's something that they cannot even touch. But they really don't. They want to look and see what people are using and try to say really the things are, that, that people are using. As an example, the Air Force always got made fun of for golf courses. Well, in the old days, golf courses paid for all the other services on base. But we did it at the very last year of my husband's service. We did a survey and, and golf courses were not being used. And they are not about what the retirees use. And being in a retiree, I can say that they really want to focus on what the airmen and their families want to be want to use. So if they're not using golf courses, then we have no problem closing them. And I know people see that as a sad thing in some ways, but we want to make sure that it's what the airmen would like to use. So those things, um, they do look at it and they do try to protect them. I will say, though, that some of these programs arose because there was such a need, but sometimes the need goes away. Oh, yeah. And that program needs to be saved. We, you know, if you don't have as much of something anymore, then maybe that program could, you know, you could look at it. Now, and they also, one other thing to think about is that for the young people, they do so much themselves. I want, I want my generation to know that the young spouses, they create, they do. Mm -hmm. um, they have formed so many organizations that are that do so much. Mm -hmm. So if they've got all these organizations and they love to support the organizations that they form, mm -hmm. so maybe then some of ours might go away. I mean, in all honesty, mm -hmm. I mean, well, as an example, the army was a big hoo-ha when the army threatened to take away, you know, spouse um, job placement, you know, on the installation. Well, I don't know. There's a whole lot of programs out there that are helping spouses with their job, with their, you know, finding a good job. There's the Chamber of Commerce hiring our heroes. There's all sorts of things. Maybe, you know, we don't need as much. So I'm just saying some of these things arise and then maybe we don't need them anymore. You know, I think that's incredibly wise. There's so you're right. There's so much out there. It's hard to look at a young person and say that because they have grown up for 15 years. We had money. Mm -hmm. and you knew the end was in sight, 
but you didn't, nobody wanted to admit it. But we have got so many more organizations now around. I get to vote on the Newman's Own Award. We have over 300 submissions each year. When it gets to me, there's about 75 organizations that are supporting military members and their family. And we get to narrow it down to five to give them some funding. So these are new programs too. Can you imagine? That's so there's still so many people out there and so many organizations that want to help and want to do good things and it's working. Yeah, it's pretty fantastic. And I, and I will say that my generation, I've been saying this kind of in a lot of different places as I'm watching this generational shift happen, that my generation was really spoiled by the programming and the childcare. And, and I was part of the group that um, for our FRG meetings, we had childcare. And then that right. kind of went away. And so we were really spoiled. Um, and there was a lot of intense deployments happening during that time. And so it really helped. But um, I think that my generation was a little spoiled. And, and so it kind of um, took us by surprise when some of that started to go away and we had to figure out now what are we going to do. But I yes. think that you're right. There are so many organizations out there um, right. started by military families that are aiming to help pick up the pieces. Right. Last week I spoke at the Army-Navy Club downtown D.C. And it was on women in the military. And so they had the first woman general ever. She spoke first. And then me and then a young uh, woman soldier. And I was kind of like, why are you having me? Um, but they were talking about the what spouses have done for the military, member and family. And so at the end of my speech, I closed with, you know, the organizations like TAPS, like Semper Fi Fund, like Military Child Education Coalition, like National Military Family, like Arlington Ladies. All of those things started and supported continuously by military spouses. Yeah, and that's, I think, a perfect segue to talk for a second about you're now the president of um, the military spouse programming at Victory Media, which means that you right. are um, helping with the Military Spouse of the Year Awards. And so right. you get this wonderful opportunity to be a part of so many of these um, amazing military spouses that are, are some of them out there building these huge organizations and nonprofits and meeting these needs. Correct. I love it. I mean, this job came to me. I didn't go searching for it, um, but it has been, it keeps me young. It really does. Um, they amaze me. And so I sort of feel like I'm doing two different things. I also mentor to new one stars um, over at National Defense University. And so and when I mentor to them, I then tell them that these young spouses are wonderful and fabulous. Sometimes you need, they need a little direction. Sometimes they use, they need some guidance. And I give it, they don't always like it, but I give it. Um, but they, 99.9% .9 are just wonderful, wonderful people and they wanna do the right thing. They really want to do the right thing. So the idea, I just keep, I, even my mother who's still alive and is a military spouse herself, I tell her, do not feel sad about this generation coming up. They are wonderful. I never dreamed of starting an organization as a young spouse. All I wanted to do was work. We didn't have children. I wanted to be a professional woman. But I look at spouses, young ones, they start organizations. Look at you doing this. I mean, unbelievable. It's unbelievable to me what young spouses do. And they just dive right in. And they're willing. They're willing to succeed. They're hoping to succeed, but they're willing to give it a shot. It's true. And, and I have to say, for the Military Spouse of the Year community, this is, we call you Mama Susie. 
um, yes. because you are kind of you just wonderful maternal nurturing um, woman in our life that brings that wisdom. And I love the fact that you offer it, whether we ask or not. I love it. <laughs> I know. I write columns. You know, I write my columns. And one time I said to someone, I said, I'm going to write a column. I'm going to yell at them this month. And she said back to me, well, you yell at us every month. (laughs) Do I really? And um, in fact, I have to write my column and um, I do already have a thought and it might include a little bit of yelling. I'm not sure. But I'm really about being kind. I, I want I want people to be kind. I can't take it. I mean, right now, I feel like in our country, we just need to be kind. And um you know, people say, why do you talk to people in the stores and why do you do whatever you do? I said, because I want to be kind. That's all you can do is your tiny little piece of the planet. That's all you can do is to be kind. So I post kind things. I repost kind things. I don't say mean things on Facebook. I keep trying to tell people, especially young people, you do not have to respond to every Facebook post out there. You don't have to. You know, you don't have to. I love that. And I'm, I'm willing to admit and receive that even myself today, because you saw last week that I posted something and then that started something and I knew better. I knew better. And so I saw you post on there. Um, it was just this one little statement, but I was like, oh, Susie's watching. She's watching. And, and that one kind statement actually held me accountable. And I so appreciate that. And I agree with you and, and just learning from myself the hard way, just learning that it, kindness goes so far. Well, because I, I might not agree with everybody, but they most certainly have the right to, to their opinion. And that's what I want to get across. You know, I don't have to agree with everything, but boy, I don't have to be mad at you for having a different opinion than I do. I just think that's just craziness. So um, I'm very careful on my, on my posts. I try not to post, you know, very many political things just because I don't want to stir it up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to post kindness. I just want to post kindness all the time. And there is a lot of kindness out there. There really true. is. And we need a whole lot to go around for sure. Um, and I love, I love the idea of us being more better advocates for that. And I know that I would love for my own Facebook feed and of what I zoom through to be a little bit more kind as well. And so we kind of have, right. we have to take the initiative on that in our own lives. I couldn't agree with you more on that. Um, and I received that wisdom today. Oh, I see that hand. I see that hand. Um, so that, that brings up a, another question for you. And that is, um, as you look back, you know, you're seeing these new spouses now and, um, and you see their value and you see their concerns. And what would you look back and tell yourself now, way back at the beginning of this military spouse journey of yours? What would you, knowing what you know now, what would you say to her? I would say it's going to be okay. What does that mean? that it's going to work out, that life is never what you think it's going to be. And that really doesn't matter whether you're in the military or not. Things change and it's going to be okay. You may not have the life that you thought you would have, but no one else does either. This idea that just because we're in the military, our life goes a different direction. That's a little crazy. To me, I'm going to tell my, that person back then that it's going to be great. It's going to be great. There's going to be some hard times. I will tell you, I did not like my husband at all from about the seven-year mark to the 11-year mark. Because Can you that- share a little bit of that journey in your marriage of what was what made it so difficult? Sure. It was me wanting to work. Mm. It was me wanting to work. So he came home, and I thought after going to a school here in D.C. that he would follow that on with an assignment also here in D.C., 
So he came home and told me he was going to Germany. Now, of course, me today would jump and do flips going to Germany. Me back then cried for two weeks, didn't speak to him, and I ended up not going to Germany. So we stayed apart for two years. Looking we back, what would you say to her now? Would you have done the same thing? Yes, I would do the same thing because we survived it and it, it led to many other opportunities that I was then given. So I was able to continue my work two other times uh, with Hyatt Hotels who were very good to me at that time. So I would say yes. And in fact, we always we, lo we joke about it because you don't know back then that you're never going to have another opportunity to be stationed overseas. You don't know that. And um, but it was the right thing at the right time. It was hard. It was hard as the Dickens. And um, but I would say it's going to be OK. So that had to be actually there's so many questions that come out of that. There's so many families right now that are choosing the yes. geo bachelor approach. Right. Um, and that also brings up the theme of um, so many military spouses right now are I these are my words, but feeling um, desperate to have that opportunity in their career and, and have a little bit of control and, and actually have their opportunity. And so I think that comes into play a little bit here as well. And so what would you say to some of the couples who are geobatching or considering I, splitting for a season in order to handle it's, that? It's harder than you think it is. And for the most part, I encourage to go. That's really my bottom line, especially if you have kids. I encourage them to stay together as long as, as possible. Um, but I would say if you have to do it one time and one time only and not again, this idea to live apart, this is just my opinion, mm -hmm. but the idea to live apart multiple tours or, you know, six or seven years, I, I just think that's too hard. And um, because it was really an adjustment, even for us, and it's just the two of us, there were no kids. Uh, but I understand it, but you can't, and you can survive it, but you miss, it's like, I think, you know, you wrote when you got to go on that on your trip, it's the shared opportunities it's not that you can't survive it, but he got to do things and I got to do things, but we didn't, we weren't sharing them. And that's two years of not sharing. And there's other times where you have, where they have to be deployed. So why do it if they're, if they don't have, you don't have to be a part. That's, that's just my. So when you look back on that season now, yes. both you and your husband, you look back now and see how much you grew because of the decision that you made. I don't know if we grew or not, tell you the honest truth. We survived and we were happier at the other end of it. There was never going to be an argument about my working. I knew that my husband was willing to go apart and live apart for two years for me to continue my job. So it, there was never, that was it. That was done. I knew that he had sacrificed really for me. He lived in a, he lived in a room on a twin bed for two years. Um, he ate out of a little microwave. He had a little microwave. Um, he said he had to go get a wooden plank to put underneath his mattress because his mattress, you know, sunk to the floor. And um, so I knew that he was willing to do that. And so never again did I ever even think we were going to live apart. Never again. But I also knew I had proven myself in my business. And I knew that if I were to choose another lifestyle, I could be successful. And then I was fine with it. I just so needed the opportunity to show that I could do it. So it was partly your own building your own confidence and building yeah. your own sense of purpose and that you needed that opportunity? Yes, because, and, and who knew at that time, but you have to be strong as you watch your husband continue to be promoted. Mm -hmm. You have to know your own value because it cannot be totally tied to what your husband or your spouse does. It can't. You have to know your own value. And I also, 
I just want people to know that all marriages probably struggle in there some some way. You're the marriage expert, but every, but we should talk about it as senior spouses to say that it's not all rosy. It's not. It's hard. You see us, we're positive, we put on the good show. You're, of course, we're not going to be fighting in front of you, um, but it's hard. And so the, everybody has ups and downs. Everybody does. What would you say that you and your husband have learned over the years about what it takes to have a successful, strong, connected relationship throughout all of the separations? Because I know that last four years, even though you traveled a lot with him, he, ob- he obviously had to travel um, a lot without you. And I yeah. also, when I had a chance to visit with you, he was on a trip. And so he's still sometimes traveling. Yeah. So he's, what is it? Right now, he's in India right now. Yeah. Real, wow. <laughs> so <laughs> what? lots of traveling, lots of, like you said, um, separate experiences. And so what would you say what makes the relationship stay connected through all of those separations? To know that he is your number one fan and your best friend. And that the two of you, your advice means the most to each other. I mean, during all of his military career, I know I knew that he would listen to what I, what I had to say. He didn't always agree with it, but I knew. And those two, that, those things together where he was my best friend, but also my best sounding board. And he will be brutally honest Um, but that grew and grew and grew. And as your circle of friends gets smaller and smaller, if you're not good friends, then it's going to be harder and harder because again, your circle just continues to shrink and shrink and shrink. And while all your friends are happy for you, they're also a little jealous. They're also a little unsure and they are afraid to bother you because they know that your life is busy. Even though you would like them to bother you, but they don't want to because they're afraid that they're going to interrupt your already busy schedule. So if you don't have each other, then it's it's a lonely road. So um, do you feel like as you get older, is that um, something that happens? Do you feel like does your circle get smaller and smaller or was it smaller and smaller because of the sphere of influence that you guys gained over time? I don't know because I only know from the sphere of influence, but I think that is the case. I don't, I think it's as you get older a little bit, but more because we, what we didn't realize was even you, when you retire, you are still the former chief. Mm-hmm. Um, and so your friends, they're, they're, everyone still thinks you're too busy to kind of bother them. So you have to reach out more and more and you have to really try a little bit harder. But I just think it's, it's kind of over time. You know, I just think that happens. And then your sphere of influence is smaller. I mean, my friends today are friends mostly from other services mm-hmm. because that's who I was around at the end. That makes sense. Right. And so when you look back, um, is was there a period of time where you went through your own personal growth that was looking back, it was a really difficult, challenging time for you, but you look back and say now, wow, this was a huge moment, a, tra- a trajectory shift for me in my own personal growth. Would that be the time that you guys were apart or was there another time that was especially difficult for you? Um, I'm a, in my own personal growth, two times probably. One, when we before that, when we went to be a squadron commander and I tried so hard to work. and um, But I was the very first of being a military spouse. It was the first where you had a role to play. So that was one time where I really struggled with how to do it how to do it right, what was expected, what wasn't expected of me. And then later, uh, when he had a wing, and as a wing, you are the installation commander, 
And there are about 8,000 people in that um, organization. And that was the first time where I realized that I could make a difference to those 8,000 individuals all by myself. So that's a lot. That's a lot. Yes. But you have to, and that's the first time of really understanding the fishbowl that you're in. And, um, and that for me, it's not hard in that I'm already an outgoing person. Uh, but I have to learn then to be quiet. I have to learn sometimes not to talk. Ooh, can you unpack that a little bit? I think that's something all of us can learn a little bit about. Well, there's two things. You can be shy. And then if you're shy, you are perceived as being, um, not nice. Mm-hmm. But if you are loud, you are perceived as sometimes being rude, sometimes being bossy. Um, and I um, need to sometimes learn to keep my opinion to myself. You don't realize who's listening or who isn't. I mean, as an example, um, I wrote an article when we were when he was the wing commander, and I said sometimes I, there were two me's. There was the working me when we were in Washington D.C., and there was the military spouse me when we were away from the city when I couldn't have it. There wasn't a hotel to work at, and I thought that was a lovely, even article. Apparently, it made a lot of people angry. Those that were just saw themselves as military spouses 24/7 forever, it, I I I offended them. So then you're like, oh my gosh. I offended people by that. You just, you know, you can't make it up. And then later as the chief, I will tell people what the one thing I don't miss about being a senior, senior spouse is I used to put my head on the pillow every night and go back through my day and wonder, "Ah, did I say the wrong thing to that person? Was I joking and that person didn't perceive it as a joke? Mm. Did I not listen, did I miss someone who was trying to get a hug or a real answer on something? That is the one thing now when I close my eyes and go to sleep, I don't have to rehash my day and wonder what I said or didn't say during the course of the day. I just kind of close my eyes, even though I'm not a good sleeper, but I don't go through the day like I used to and, you know, think about it. And I don't, I think that happens to people who are, are out there, you know, loud and in charge sort of. Yeah. I don't, if you're quiet, I don't think that is a, a dilemma. But I do think if you're quiet, it's a different dilemma because you're very nice and you know it, but you are perceived as maybe not as nice. I think that that speaks volumes. And I think um, especially women at every stage of life struggle with that on some, on some level. Oh, Would yes. you look back at Susie, wife of Nordy, Joint Chief of the Air Force? Would you yeah. now look back at her asleep on that pillow and say, stop worrying. It's all going to be okay. Oh yes. Oh yes, absolutely. In fact, the new chief, um, had her, her, his spouse had me to their, my old house. And it was the first time I'd been in my own old house in four years. And we had a wonderful uh, tea one afternoon. I ended up staying like three hours. Ridiculous. But one of the questions she asked me was, what do you regret? Mm. And I have to honestly say that I didn't have any regrets. I gave it my all. And, um, and I love her and I love him and I know that we're in good hands and they can change things they can do. And I'm totally, I just want to be supportive. That's amazing. And, um, I could talk with you for hours and I, but I really want to get to one of your loves and your passions, which is entertaining and hosting events. 
Um, sure. In fact, you have a blog, and I am going to share it with you. I know you're still working on it, but it's SusieSchwartzSays.com. And she right. has these amazing tips and images and pictures of some of the events that you've hosted in your home. You love to decorate for the holidays. I, w- I was thinking back, and I know that you're famously um, n- well-known for your Christmas decorations, but I have to say every holiday your home is fully decorated. And um, so Christmas is one of my favorites because I know you have at least one upside-down tree, right? Yes. Do you have, yes. you have one? And yeah, then- that was that was a get. That was a gift from spouses at Scott Air Force Base. Yes, it's mm-hmm. an Air Force themed tree. Is that yes. right? No, I, they wanted it to be an Air Force tree, but I didn't want an Air Force tree to be upside down. <laughs> I thought that. <laughs> so, how many Christmas trees do you actually put up during the Christmas season? Now I put up four. Wait, one, four, four. And so, what is your favorite holiday to decorate for? Christmas is really my favorite. And then after that, Halloween. I do love Halloween. I love Halloween too. And my favorite. And I mean, I have, go a little. And you have good friends that come over and help you do this. It's kind of an event, usually, don't you? Yes, it's an event, and that started um, at Scott Air Force Base, so about ten years ago. So um, yeah, now there's about four or five friends. My sister comes too. We spend they spend the like two or three nights here at the house, and um, it's really great fun. And we decorate. And then this time, some people from local people came over, you know, and they brought hors d'oeuvres and wine at different times, and it's a it's a fun time. And I am not, I mean, they know what I want, but I don't change it after they decorate it. I don't change it. People think I do, but I don't. Mm-mm. I'm sure you nope. just look around your house and see the love of friendship and, and yeah. the good time that you had that year, right? Right. Yep. So and may- I try to give some away to people as they're, as they're leaving. You do so, what? Yeah. You say that again? I try to give ornaments away. As, as for people that come to help me, I give things away because, I mean, I want to, you know, I have, need an excuse to buy news, so I try to give away there for the helpers. Hey, let's share, let's share some of your tips because I know you have a ton of them. So sure. speaking of shopping and buying things new, yes. where do you typically find some of your, your favorite things considering right. you love to decorate, so you're always wanting to find something new. So where do you shop for those things? I am still a Home Goods TJ Maxx fan. I really am. In the old days, what I would tell people was go and get the sales. I used to be the day after Christmas, which I still am. There's a Merrifield Nursery here in town, which has great Christmas. And I am there at 6 a.m. the day after Christmas if I'm in town. So I used to say hit the sales all the time. Because I didn't start this until my husband was a one star. I was working the whole time. So all of these decorations came after that. I mean, I I didn't entertain or do much of anything prior to that. Um, but I'm a Home Goods TJ Maxx fan. I really am. They have great um, stuff. Great yes, stuff. Yes. Okay. And so, um, what are some of your tips for? Um, let's. You love to host luncheons and teas. Right. And so, why do you choose a lunch or a tea as an opportunity to host instead of, say, a dinner or a cocktail or a brunch or sure. something like that? This started a long time ago, and if I had to wait for my husband to be home for a dinner, I would never be able to entertain. So this started as a way when to use the stuff that I owned and do it during the day. And so it, they just grew. So the first one was, I think I might've done Valentine's day or something. I don't know. And then it just sort of mushroomed and it became this tradition. So, you know, I do Valentine's Easter. Uh, my sister made me change. I used to do like a 4th of July type thing. And she said, no, because I gave away all my patriotic dishes to current active duty spouses. So she came up with a picnic ant kind of theme. And so she bought me little ant things. It's crazy. Anyway, and then um, Halloween, 
and uh, and then you know my tea party. But it just came about because if I waited for my husband to be home, it would never happen. And it so, would... what would be your tips for hosting? What do you what do you t- teach some of these other wives if they want to host something? The number one thing is to pre- preparation. Set that table three or four days in advance. Buy everything you know three days in advance. Do not wait. And everything is done prior to your guests arriving. I'm talking the coffee pot is on, the water in it, it's turned on. Even if you brew it early, I know it's not really good to brew your coffee so early, but if you have to, just hit the brew button and have it set to go. Cream is in the shirt. Everything, every single item is ready to go. And um, I have people help me now, but um, I cook it all. And it is ready. Do the soup a day in advance, even two days in advance if you're going to do that. Make it easy on yourself. I have someone who makes my um, um, desserts now because I don't have time. So she delivers it to my door, and she loves to deliver it. So that's done. Make it easy. And if you can, like, it's not about the food. It is about having people in your home and sitting down. And for, for my house, I know they're coming to see the decorations. So I definitely know it's not about the food. I want the food to be good, but it's not about that. So if it can't be done in advance, don't do it. So you've learned how to delegate. So you said, for instance, your desserts, you let somebody else do that. Um, I know you also have had somebody that comes in and helps um, serve some of the food so that you can be with your guests. Right. And it's a good friend of yours. And so I love that idea of of having a friend of yours be there to help serve so that you can be with guests. Yes, yes. And go ahead and pay that. I mean, you pay them, I mean, depending on who it is, you know, but it's worth it. But if you can't, then just do it like a buffet style and have people go out. And you can go to Costco, you could go to the Giant, which we have here, and get pre-made salads. You know, your, a roast chicken is your best friend. And, um, and just do the simple, simple, simple. It is not about cooking and slaving, you know, slaving over the phone over the stove for two days it's just not because you want to spend time with your guests so i mean when we were at scott air force base though i made the ladies i thought okay i can't keep doing these lunches it's your turn and so one of them she did a saint patrick's day it was the cutest thing i've ever seen in my life and all the food i think came from the store and we don't care Mm -hmm. It, it was wonderful and then people can sit around and you're relaxed and, you know, you can enjoy it. But it's all about being prepared. And, you know, in the old days when I didn't have someone make make desserts, maybe we would make like a cheesecake. I know that sounds kind of cliche, but you can do a cheesecake for goodness sakes, three or four days. It gets better, you know, over time. Make it a good one. And um, you can even have it. I mean, when I say ready, it's cut. It's plated. It's ready. I, I cannot stress enough. It has to be ready. So do you plate a lot of your stuff ahead of time, if you can? I do. If I can, I plate salads if we're having a salad and have them in the fridge. Um, a funny story, when Walt was a wing commander, I plated the salads in advance and then I couldn't find one. And so we sat them all in front of everybody and we were short one. So we then said, okay, and I passed around a plate and everybody took a little bit of off their plate and put it on there. And it was a wonderful bonding experience and it was for the 06s that were the colonels that were underneath us. And so it was a forever shared moment. So go with those moments where you mess up and just laugh about it and and have a good time. I mean, that's the only thing that you can do. But you can plate a lot of things in advance and it should never be like beef or something that has to be cooked, you know, exactly right. Give that up. Uh, when Nort was a chief and we had AIDS, what we did were short ribs because short ribs are really nice and they're delicious, but 
they could hold in the oven for two hours, you know, if your guests were late or whatever. So make stuff easy. That's a great, that's a great idea. There's so many things that I could ask you about entertaining. Um, I can say from, from being at one of your luncheons that um, one of your favorite things, at least from watching you, one of your favorite things is giving people the opportunity to network and connect with each other. That seems like it's such a heart for you is giving people a chance to talk around the table is your, your most favorite part is helping people make those connections. And it's something that you love to do still. Right. I do. I love it. I did it at Valentine's Day. It was wonderful. Yeah. So we, you know, if, if people want more tips from you, um, they can follow you on Facebook, right? Because you do share some of your uh, entertainment tips, tips and right. what you do. They get, the most, they get the most hits of anything. I can post a real story and I might get, you know, so many. If I post pictures of my Valentine lunch, I'll get three or 4,000 hits from those. Pictures. It's amazing. And you have to go and check out Susie's Facebook page so you can see some of the events that she's done. You can also find it at her blog, com. Susie, um, it is, I could spend hours with you. I really could. And you have so much wisdom and love for our, our community, the entire community of all branches. And you really are our mama, Susie. And I, I can't thank you enough for who you've been in my life, for the mentor you are to so many other spouses that I know. I love who you are. I love the fact that you speak your mind. You've earned that, I think, in our lives. And um, if, if nothing else, I think, I keep saying this over and over, I think, in the podcast in general, is that we need more mentoring. We need to listen to each other a little bit more. We need to understand that other people have other perspectives other than ours. And um, especially within the spouse community, um, it can be very loud and it can be really exciting. And so, um, Susie, you, you bring such wisdom and such a reminder of what's really important. And so I really appreciate you spending time with us today. Is there anything else that you would encourage these uh, marriages who are in the middle of their journey, of their military experience, anything else that you would say to them to encourage them wherever they're at? I would say do as much as you can together. The memories that you will make will last you a lifetime. Share your military life together when you can. You will have time for other things, but you will be able to look back together. It should not be your spouse looking back. It's just his or her career. Share some of those moments because together you have made a difference to people below you that you will never know. And you should be able to look back with fondness together on those memories and make as many together memories as you can. I love that. I'm a huge fan of that. You know that. <laughs> I do know that. Susie, thank you so much for joining us today. I can't thank you enough. Um, I hope you have a wonderful day. I hope um, you stay warm. I know it's cold there in D.C. Thank you for everything you've done for our families. And please tell your husband when we said thank you as well. I will. Thank you. 